I'm Swazi and you're locked into Kiss Life. You can listen back to the conversation right here in this brand new podcast from Bauer. So make sure you like and subscribe to get a new episode every week. After a recent government report on the state of UK race relations, we debate systemic racism. On the 40th anniversary of the 1981 riots, fueled by what was seen as institutionalised racism, I'm asking, does it still exist? And if so, why hasn't the UK been able to break this cycle? We also discuss whether young people need to change their attitude towards authority or if this deep-rooted issue is still at the heart of society in 2021. Life. 1981 was the year that the UK burned. The Brixton riots sparked disturbances in five other key cities around the UK and at the heart of it was the relationship between the police and young black communities across the country. In a moment, we will hear from a man who was involved in the Brixton riots then went on to become an incredible award-winning author. But first, let's rewind back 40 years and hear from some of the key players from the Brixton disturbances all those years ago, giving us a sense of what life was like back then. Someone who was there, front and centre of the Brixton riots, and has now gone on to become an award-winning author, and you've had your story depicted in the Small Act series. Joining me now is Alex Wheatle. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. You know, it's been a tough lockdown, but hopefully we will emerge out of it. And um, we will will continue to see more of our um, black experience and histories on radio programmes and television alike. Absolutely. Not only is your voice just mad to listen to now that I've watched all the docs and stuff, but to have you here, yes, we can have the montage. Yes, we can watch everything that's online. But I really want to hear from you in your own words. Can you paint the picture of Brixton in 1981? I mean, this weekend is the 40th anniversary isn't it so i'd love to hear from you just take us back let us let us get that image in our head um yeah what do you remember of 1981 what i remember is um firstly the new cross fire and the lack of a, a proper investigation by the police we really felt that it was an attack by perhaps national front or somebody somebody of that ilk and um, it was just a tragedy because we all believed that it could have been any of us who perished in those flames and so there was a lot of anger about the um, the lack of a proper investigation and the, and the basically the antipathy that the uh, metropolitan police displayed so i was on the day of action i think that was um late february or early march And I remember as we uh, approached Blackfriars Bridge, the police became all of a sudden very um, intimidating. They hurled racist slurs and taunts at us and they kind of encouraged us into a fight. You know, they they were the intimidators on that day. And to see the next day's newspaper headlines that black people had run amok in the city of London, you know, all the right wing newspapers that just dismayed us and depressed us. And so we felt that, um, you know, no one was really on our side, nobody from any of the great institutions of this country, the metropolitan police and so on. No politicians marched with us, no MPs, nobody. And so we felt kind of trapped. We felt that we want. We wasn't wanted here. We felt that they wanted to get rid of us. There was like a purge on the streets. And then we had Swamp 81, where basically the police tried to stop um, and arrest as many young black people as possible. And so all this led up to April the 10th, 1981. And I remember on a Friday, I was shooting pool in a pub just off Brixton Hill, um, very adjacent to Brixton Prison. It was after 10 o'clock 
and a young guy ran in, burst into the pub, and he said, it's all kicking off in Brixton. The rumour that we heard was that the police had actually stabbed a young black guy to death on the front line, which is Routon Road. And because um, of the environment at, at the time, because of the, um, the relationship we had with the police, everyone believed this. And this went around Brixton like wildfire. You know, it, even if we had WhatsApp, it would have been um, slower. Uh, I remember that night we went from estate to estate, road to road, you know, everyone was talking about it. I remember it was a very warm night, humid night for, um, you know, beginning of April. And then we all expected something to kick off because most people were saying enough is enough. And so on a Saturday morning, um, I got up very early, very unusual for me, and I headed down to my favourite spot in Savannah B's Record Shack on the junction of Colaba Lane and uh, Atlantic Road. And uh, it was packed, the streets were heaving. And the police, they had increased their presence. It was very intense. It was, and, and the tension was escalating by the hour. And by the afternoon, I just remember following a, a rush of people to the junction of um, Colaba Lane and Atlantic Road. And by the time I got there, um, everyone was rocking this police van and there were police officers inside. They were petrified and it landed on its side and the windows were smashed and the whole battle began from there. And I guess many of us, we wanted to defend our corner of Routon Road, the front line. And so that was where the main battle was uh, located wow. and i remember around about 5 p.m the racist pub that uh, everyone knew in the area that was a racist pub on the front line where they wouldn't serve black customers if they wanted a drink or anything and that was the first building torched and firebombed and that went up in flames and i thought wow this is this is really big now and then um parked cars were drained off their petrol put into milk bottles because in those days the milkman used to come in and deliver your uh, bottles of milk, milk outside your doorstep right. yeah you know they were all available so they were employed and petrol was soon um filling up those bottles lit and they were thrown into the police ranks and the police they just did not know what to do there were so many of us and they initially they tried to defend themselves with dustbin lids and what whatever they could find but really they were overpowered but mind you in the back of my head and i'm sure many others is that you know you knew what would happen to you if they caught you and they took you back to brixton police station because these are the days before recorded interviews cctv and uh, police media. cells and, yeah. and what have you social media you know we knew that you could possibly end up dead because it happened to me i've been beaten up in police cells on a on two occasions you know five six officers is coming in i mean I've, i was even beaten up in a police van and uh, kicked out while it's moving so we knew these things were happening you, you know your story isn't um you know it's not unique in the sense that loads of people also share that same experience um, absolutely and so that that on one hand is really scary of course but then two forward you know fast forward 40 years um when the government have uh dropped their recent report looking at race relations here in the uk um and before that you've had many reports particularly looking at um the police yeah. institution and and to raise the question then or to the suggestion that the UK isn't institutionally racist, but yet you have a whirlwind and, and loads of stories and you're just one person, right? You've got so many people yeah. who also have their stories. How do you marry up? Okay, well, if the UK has a problem with racism, no one is denying that. Okay, cool. But it's not institutionally 
racist? Is that the suggestion? How do you land with those findings? Well, I, I totally reject it. And um, the commissioners or who uh, chaired it is, you know, for me, it's an utter betrayal. You only have to look at incidents in the past two or three years. I mean, you look at the Windrush scandal. There are still people in our community um, of my parents' generation still awaiting their compensation after being put through hell, after being removed from this country and all of its services and all their rights. You know, we're still dealing with that. Um, just last year, one of our athletes, Bianca Williams, was stopped in her car for no good reason. Her young child was um, distressed and unattended in the back seat. She was manhandled, you know, and um, there's no cry from the Home Secretary saying this is uh, unacceptable or this should not be happening. Like there was a cry when we had that vigil in Clapham Common. So you can see the differences of how we are treated opposed to how white people are, are treated. And so we can see that there's a two-tier thing going on in this country where, um, you know, if you're of a certain hue, there is um, there is a bit of comfort, there's a bit of solace, but if you're of a black hue, no, your life doesn't matter. And that is still the case in many of our institutions in this country. If you were to go back to 1981, having been here in, in 2021, what did you think the world was going to look like by the time we touched 2021? Um, a better place where these battles, these culture wars would not be happening. Mm. Where, you know, um, we were accepted. We were seen as any other race who lives in this country. We were seen as British for a start. I mean, we felt that um, we weren't wanted here. So I guess the first thing on my mind is I wanted acceptance of me. I wanted my life to be as valuable, as worthy as anybody else who lives in this country. I was born here in 1963. So why shouldn't I have the rights to anyone born in this country? But the authorities did not see it that way. And so I wanted that to change, where I wanted to grow my children in a world where they didn't have to worry about whether they would be accepted or not. But it still seems to be the case that we're fighting for some kind of acceptance from institutions like the police and so forth, the Home Office and what have you. And for me, it's taken far too long, far too long. I mean, Priti Patel, instead of um, complaining about um, the way people march or taking rights away from marchers, she should really deal with the issues that have been um, with us for so, so many years. Alex, thank you so much. Everything that you have shared, your stories, it resonates with us so much. And for us young ones, it really gives us the courage to keep on the conversation going as well. So thank you so much. We'll speak soon. The last two weeks has seen the release of the government's report on race and ethnic disparities. It came about as the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, felt that the UK needed to consider important questions about the state of race relations today and that there needed to be a thorough examination of why so many disparities persist. The government seemingly wanted to work out what can be done to eliminate or mitigate them. The findings surprised many quarters, with the overriding headline being that the Commission overwhelmingly commented that there wasn't an institutionally racist element to the UK. Joining me now is Bowers Westminster correspondent Georgina to discuss the background and fallout to the report. Georgina, it's always so good to have you. I guess my first question is, who actually made up the panel? 
So, looking back, the Prime Minister asked for this to be commissioned last summer, of course, when Black Lives Matter was at its peak with loads of protests in central London and across the country, and that's when this panel was chosen. So the commission was made up of 10 people, all from different fields, and the report says they're from science, education, economics, broadcasting, loads of different fields. Of course, the main question is whether they were from ethnic minority backgrounds. Um, With the exception of one person, they all were actually, and they all met virtually for the first time back in July and they haven't actually met in person at all because of the pandemic. Uh, It's important to point out too that most of them are older than you and me, many are over 50 years old and the head of the commission was Dr Tony Saul. Now he's a black former teacher who grew up in Brixton, he's currently the CEO of an education charity and he said after the report was published that nobody's denying that racism exists but they didn't find evidence of institutional racism. Now he's made controversial comments in the past, many have deemed them homophobic when they came out, he's had to apologise for that. Another controversial member of the panel is Manira Mirza. Now, she works for Downing Street. She actually chose all of the panel. Now, she's the daughter of Pakistani immigrants. She's from Oldham. And she worked for Boris Johnson back when he was mayor of London. Now, Grazia magazine actually asked the prime minister which five women had inspired him in his life. And one of them was her, along with his grandmother. Uh, So she's made these comments on a number of occasions, which seem to deny institutional racism. And so some people have claimed that she went into this with her own ideas already, her own beliefs. But we've seen in statements from the commission since that they said they know racism exists and is real. um, But it's with that institutional racism that they see a difference. And there has been a lot of criticism of the findings of the report. So were the government prepared for that backlash? I don't think they were. And there have been moments where even Boris Johnson, as you said, who who called for the report, has seemed to distance himself from it. So he said it's interesting, but he's not agreeing with every word of it. And we've seen people like Doreen Lawrence, Stephen Lawrence's mother, who says this gives racists the green light, really strong words. So some people that were listed as actually helping with the report when it came out, um, including Sir John Bell, who's a professor at Oxford University, said he never actually spoke to them. Same goes for S.I. Martin, who's a black author, and he says they never called him, they never asked for his opinion on anything, and he's opposed to everything in the document. Apparently he was named in error and they'll be removing him. Um, but even Boris Johnson's most senior black advisor is stepping down next month, Samuel Kasumu, and that was announced the next day after the report was published. Downing Street say that has nothing to do with the report and it's been planned for months, but I don't think they were prepared for the reaction that they've had. And within the government, who has commented on the report? So we've seen that many have come out and said that they're standing by it, really, but Boris Johnson himself has distanced himself from it. So although many ministers, people like that, have come forward and said um, that it's it's fair and that the commission was great and that they looked into things really well i don't think that the government themselves are standing by it as firmly as they did initially they wanted to make this report to look into disparities and of course the headline that's come out from it is that there aren't any Uh, and that's really not something i think the government wanted to happen because it has made them look quite bad and that's meant that when they've gone forward, they've come out and they've they've said all these things and, and have tried to support it. But overall, I don't think that, that they are trying to stand by it as much as they would if it had been a bit more 
detailed and, and, and been seen as a bit more fair from lots of ethnic minority groups. We know over the past couple of weeks it's actually been parliamentary recess, so Parliament's been on holiday, and that has meant that the debate about the report hasn't been as invigorated as I think it would have been if Parliament were sitting and they were able to discuss it properly in the House of Commons. I guess whether you're for the report or maybe not, the whole point is that we want positive change, we want to see progress. And so how does the report's finding actually affect policy moving forward? So the report has 24 recommendations for the government. One of them is setting up an independent office for health disparities. Another is having a review into the ethnicity pay gap in the NHS. Very important during a pandemic, of course, why is that pay gap there for ethnic minorities working in the NHS who've, who've helped save lives this year? Um, and even the, the use of the term BAME, um, as it's so all-encompassing, they're questioning that. Of course, I'm white, but we still fall into the BAME category, so is that a problem? Uh, Boris Johnson says he's going to be looking at all of these 24 ideas and he will be making a response. We don't know when that will be yet, but he's made it clear that he thinks there are some very serious issues concerning racism in this country that do need addressing. So we've just got to wait and see what the government are going to do with those 24 recommendations. Georgina, thank you so much for your time and giving us the story so far. So good talking to you. We'll catch up soon. I'm Swazi and you're listening to Kiss Life. And like everything, there are always two sides to each story and not everyone is looking at this report negatively. I'm joined by political commentator and advisor Calvin Robinson. Calvin, it's so good to have you. What are your thoughts on the report itself and its findings? I think it's a great start. Um, The report shows that there are obviously many racial disparities in this country um, that need to be addressed but it doesn't make any assumptions. So this report focuses heavily on evidence. Uh, It's very, very evidence informed. Uh, A lot of research went into this. And what it does, it looks at these racial disparities and says actually what's going on in this instance and how can we make things better? And it provides lots of suggestions that hopefully the government will implement that will make society a better place for everybody. What it doesn't do is assume that this country is institutionally or systemically racist. And I know that's upset a lot of people, but it's time to move away from this divisive rhetoric that actually is very unhelpful and look at the core problems and look at providing solutions to them. And that's very important. And everyone universally should be able to get behind this, this report because there's a lot in it that will, like I say, improve society as a whole for everyone. Yeah, and like you said, there's so many opinions, isn't it? I mean, this report has the potential to open up a whole whole world of, of opinions. Um, and I, I suppose some of the other chat that's on the timeline and in group chats and everything is, OK, so to suggest that the UK isn't institutionally racist, um, and yet so many people have got different stories and different experiences, but with the government, is that going to help make policies better? Yeah, absolutely, because it's going to look at actually where these problems persist how do we get rid of them? How do we solve the problem? Rather than just saying, so if we just say, okay, the country's institutionally racist and everything's set up against us and it's a horrible place to live, how does that help anything? How does that improve anything? And what policies would that um, suggest that we need to implement? Whereas this report says, okay, so, you know, there are disparities in healthcare, there are disparities in education, uh, what's going on in those areas and how can we improve them? And, you know, we've got four main points in the report that suggest that we should build a better we should build better trust between the state and communities which is okay that's a good suggestion uh, we have to promote fairness 
which I think is a very British quality that everyone can get behind. Um, it's, it provides equality for all. Um, there has to be an element of agency. People have to have ownership of their own lives and we want to achieve inclusivity. And I think all of those, those four points are fantastic. But there are lots and lots of good suggestions built on those points. And one of the main ones that came out, one of the first ones that was announced, was that we need to get rid of the term BAME. Because what does BAME mean? Essentially, it just means non-white. And we have a word for non-white. We don't. It doesn't help anyone to suggest that anyone who isn't white is the same as everyone else. And that all brown and black people are, you know, one big homogenous group. Because we're not. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't help look at the problems that are going on in our society. And it doesn't provide any solutions. So, that you know, that's a good one to get rid of off the bat. Is it also just very, um, it's cyclic, isn't it? We're looking at 40 years ago, 1981, Brixton riots and the riots across the UK. Um, and now here we are 40 years later with a with a race report that no one is saying that the UK um, doesn't have an issue with racism. I think loads of people would be like, no, that's foolish to say that. That's, that's definitely not true. Um, but with so many people giving their stories of, OK, this is what's happened to me when I've come into contact with a police officer. Or this is what's happened to me in care. Or this is what's happened to me in the education system. Um, what things do you hope to see that's going to come good or the progress that you want to see um, bouncing off, not just of history and what's happened before, um, but especially these conversations that are happening now? Or are we, are we in the same cycle? Is something else going to happen in 40 years time? Well, I mean, there's so much to unpick there from what you just said, but I think, first of all, this report doesn't disregard anyone's personal experiences, or as they're called these days, lived experiences. It doesn't, doesn't say that, you know, because you've experienced racism, um, that that doesn't matter, uh, or that racism isn't a thing. Of course, it acknowledges that racism exists because it does. Um, all it says is that, you know, most of the evidence suggests that racism that is prevalent in society today is individual, is people making poor choices, bigoted decisions or prejudice towards other people. It's not the institutions themselves. How does that work though? How do you divorce the racism you experience from an institution that may be set up to treat people like that? I don't know how it's individual. Because it's not by design, it's not systemic, it is just people making bad choices and doing bad things. If you know, We have equality under the law, uh, in fact we have probably as ethnic minorities we have more tr special treatment than uh, people who are not minority in this country because of the Equalities Act it gives us protected characteristics um, which was set up to stop people discriminating against us but actually it you know, works in our favour because we have positive action and such um, but the, the, the point is that anyone can experience racism and anyone can be racist and that doesn't mean that the system is set up against us. And I think there is a whole mentality around this that a lot of people are kind of stuck almost in a victimhood mentality in that whenever something bad happens to them, straight away the automatic assumption is that, oh, it was racist or racism was at play. And if we can move past that and look at, look at what's actually happening, and things like this report are good because it focuses down on the evidence and looks at the really nitty-gritty detail. If we can do that, we can solve the problems and improve things. But if we just assume that everything is uh, set up against us and systemically racist, then we don't get anywhere. It's just it's rhetoric and it's, it's, it's divisive and it doesn't help anyone. But I just can't work it out then. Like, it leaves me baffled when I look at institutions because when we look at where people work, people come and go, don't they? The people who may have worked in the police force 40 years ago may not necessarily be the same people working there today. But if the people are coming and going, how is it that the stories are the same? How is it that stories around police brutality and um, stop and search incidents and people being mishandled, mistreated by the police, people dying in police custody, 
these are the stories that are um, a running theme. They are repeating themselves year on and year on out. So surely doesn't that point to the institution holding the racism as opposed to individuals? Okay, so to this I would say, why are we so obsessed with finding institutional racism? If the report didn't find any evidence of it, surely we should move forward and look at the areas that we did find racial disparities and try and fix them. The people that are obsessed with finding institutional racism, it seems to me that they want this country to be proven racist. And I don't understand the agenda behind that. In this country, we have equal opportunities. It's almost a meritocracy. You know, we have the most diverse government cabinet of all time. Rishi Sunak, Preeti Patel, Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, Kemi Badenoch. These people have reached the highest echelons of our society. We even have a mixed race member of the royal family at this, at this moment in time. You can become anything you want in this country if you work hard enough to achieve it. And we need to stop telling people that the system is set up against them because it's unhelpful to them. It holds people back. It's damaging the, all of the ethnic minority communities and people are holding themselves back by telling themselves this and perpetuating this nonsense myth that this country is racist. We as a country are not racist and people that tell you that we are have an issue and they are the problem. Political commentator and advisor Calvin Robinson, thank you so much. And coming up next, we go around the UK to get the full 2021 picture. Kiss Life. Kiss Life. You're locked in right now to Kiss Life with me, Swazi. And where we've taken time to look at what life was like 40 years ago, I want to bring us up to speed and look at today. What are we saying in 2021? I'm joined by six incredible people who live in the same cities where those uprisings in 1981 took place. We're landing in London, Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham, Nottingham and Liverpool because I want to get that full picture of what the relationship between young black people and institutions is like now here in the UK. So let me jump over to Manchester and start with Tyreek. What's the vibe in your city, man? What's it saying? Thank you. My name is Tyreek and I'm from All That Lives UK. I'm one of the co-founders of it. Um, and I'm living in Manchester right now. Um, yeah, I'm studying multimedia journalism at Manchester Metropolitan University, but I'm originally from London. Um, and my little views on the race support is I'm not allowed to swear on live, so I'm not going to. But um, just know it's nothing positive. What's not positive about it? When you read it and you saw the findings, you see the timeline, you see everything that's happening, what's your gut reaction? My gut reaction was they really said that the UK is not racist. Like, am I under a rock or something where I haven't seen, like, you know, some big change that's gone over the last, like, what, 10 years or four years? Like, honestly, like I said, I can't cuss, but there's words I really want to say right now that would really describe how annoyed I am at this race of That's a vibe right now. I'm just, I'm vexed. I'm vexed. Mm. Mm. We're getting all the vim. Don't worry, the conversation is running. We're, we're coming, we're coming. But you make a good point, right? Like, what's the conversation to be had if the UK was seen to be institutionally racist in terms of the police force? 1981 was all about the riots. And so many reports since have come out to say, yeah, there's definitely something going on right now. And then 40 years later, the, the, the statement or the conclusion is that, no, there's elements of racism, but the UK itself is not institutionally racist. I wonder then, how do you divorce all of these experiences and stories if that is the case? So let me jump over to uh, Jesse in Liverpool. I want to know what's going down in Liverpool. What's the vibe in your city today? Liverpool's probably been the same forever. It's it's predominantly white city, so you know the black people in the city all majorly in one area and. In terms of like the institutional racism, like I said the other day, it, it's definitely, definitely a big thing in Liverpool. Like it's, it's definitely still in Liverpool. Like 
it's apparent, do you know what I mean? So I, I didn't agree with what he said about like England not being racist. And I just want to kind of chop up the different institutions. And I know you work in a kid's care home. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that's going to be side by side, the care system. And so with the kids that you work with and any of those stories, um, what is the, yeah, that fabric is, is tough, right? And there's been so many people to say, yeah, as a black person, I went through the care system and this is my story. But what's the updated version in 2021? What, yeah, what's going on now? It's just lack of education. It's the people that are working with, with the, in the company I work in, and not to like saying bad about that company, but I'm one of maybe three people of like ethnic background. I'll say I'm probably like the only black one, and then we've got a couple like there's maybe two mixed race people as well. So there's not much, not much diversity at all. And then we haven't had many black kids come through our company, but right. I'm lucky enough to work with one now. But I mean, if you're not from that, you don't know how to work with 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 that type of with that type of kid. And, that, and that's a shame, like people won't really, there's probably a lot of kids missing out because people don't really want to touch touch on that. People don't really want to, like they, they wouldn't know how to care for that type of kid, cultural needs, it's it's a lot different. You know what I mean? I've seen it firsthand with the kids I work with now. And like, it's just getting people to understand that, you know, these kids are different, they different backgrounds that they come from. They need more. Just even now to get in the head, like just understanding that, you know, the different type of treatments yeah. a, a black girl might have to go through just to get a head done. You know what I mean? Just things like that. It's just it's just down to educate education. Like, people need more education. Right. And that's lacking. It's missing. Yeah. Maybe. And so I know you're in Leeds and I know you're hot on the workplace, which is a whole nother institution. So give us the thesis. What's what's it like in Leeds? What's been your experience of the workplace? Have you got many black people in your workplace, first of all? <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I'm Stel. Um, I'm currently living in Leeds at the moment, but I grew up in Nottingham and I came up to Leeds about five and a bit years ago for university. So at the moment, I'm a service manager um, for an organisation that um, helps vulnerable um, men and women. And yeah, so when I first came to Leeds, I started working in the hospitality industry. So I worked there for just over five years. And I'm not going to lie, when I first came to Leeds, I didn't realise how far up north it was. Um, <laughs> I was on the train and I was like, oh my gosh, I've been on this train for like two hours. It was really long. And what I found that getting to Leeds was that there was a lot less black people that I'm used to seeing out and about and around. And that also came with people's um, different um, perceptions of ethnic minorities and their preconceived biases. Um, so there'd be like little comments um, so like microaggressions that I wasn't used to getting before but then also in the workplace especially in hospitality because when you get when you see the branding of hospitality it's very very homogeneous mm. so it's all the same um, all the promo videos all the stock images um, and it just wasn't very representative of people that I've were like that were like me really yeah yeah, I see Vital creasing. I know you can't see this on radio, but he's like, yeah, you know when you're on the train and it starts going long and you're like, right, I'm actually out in the sticks, isn't it? Like, I'm nowhere near home. Um, Vital, give us your story. What city are you in? I know you're up in West Midlands, but yeah, what's your story? What's the vibe where you are? Yeah, man, Vital Powers, man. Uh, West Midlands, like Birmingham, Wolverhampton, I'm, I'm all around, man. Um, I'm a music artist. I content create, broadcast. It's weird, man, like... Being from like the Midlands and like more specifically Birmingham and Wolverhampton, it is quite diverse. But when we talk about the workplace, when we talk about getting into like, you know, different radio platforms and different media spaces, it's always been a challenge for me personally. I've never had like, uh, it's never been smooth, even though I make it look smooth. It's a lot of like 
like trying not to conform, um, um, understanding different cultural languages and, 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 and spaces and stuff like that. And, and, I, and I think like the typical person would, would struggle a lot, but I've always understood that, you know, my mom taught me from young that, yo, listen, you have to work two, three, four times harder than the next person just to get half, half the distance, if that makes sense. Um, in, in regards to the, um, the statement, the in, institutional racism, when I, when I saw that, it kind of put my head in a space of like, well, I wasn't surprised. That's the first thing. And when I say I wasn't surprised, I mean, well, we live in a democracy, but it's moving like a silent dictatorship. Do you know what I mean? So it, like we here in this conversation don't have the majority control. So we can't put out a status like that and it'd be as effective. But those people can. And we're talking about how we don't believe in that. And, and it's like, it's only so much we can do when it comes to the conversation. And I, I was saying like, like, like differently, um, the idea of like, what, what could we do? What could we do? We could have a conversation. We could, we could rally together. But the problem is there might be like 10 of us that rally together, but we need 100 of us, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? We need it to escalate to power positions as well, right? The, the stuff at the exactly. top needs to needs to start talking. Um, let me jump over back to London as well. Go to TJ. Um, let us know who you are. What's London saying, man? What as, with the protest? We see it all. We see the timeline talking. But what's the vibe right here in London? Yeah. So my name's TJ. Um, I'm currently like a model and an athlete. Um, been doing that for like 15 years. Um, but it's within the athletics industry. I wouldn't even say there's any forms of racism because it's predominantly a black place like um on on the sprinting section on the long distance section i can't really speak on that because that's not really my thought but in terms no, no, of I'm 100 meters <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. No, <laughs> but right is within the modeling it's heavily embedded in everything like in terms of and i think it's more on black women rather than black men because mm. in terms of like makeup for example you get a dark skin model and they don't have your shades it's like you use us for when you need it, but then you don't want to educate yourself on what we need to be um, useful to you as well. And it's it's like, for example, like I was at a shoot and um, this girl was late. She was a black model and she was like, oh, sorry, I'm late. And, and the guy was like, oh, like, don't worry, like black people are always late. And I'm like... And we was like, nah, I, I looked at him and I said, yeah, you know you can't say that. And he's like, yeah. In it, we your whole chest. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. And, and it's just like, but you lot say to each other. And I said, listen, there's jokes that we make between ourselves, same way in every other community, they've got their own jokes as well, but you don't say it across the thing. And he seemed shocked that he couldn't say it. But yeah, I think it's just, there's a lot of education that needs to be done on our, our culture and mm. how we, we want to be treated. And I think that can be done by ourselves and by others. Like, because yeah. you, like, we can teach them, but they need to be willing to learn. And I don't think they are. Um, I want to jump over as well to YP, who I know may have a similar story. I don't know, I want to get your story. And maybe similar to Jesse in the sense that you're also in a, a children's home. But what's the vibe in Nottingham? My name is YP. I'm a music artist. Um, I study criminology at university currently. Um, and I also work alongside like youth in my community. Um, I'm literally about to go start a job in a children's home as well. So when I heard this... Um, that the UK isn't institutionally racist. Like, I just had to sit back and smile to myself for a second. And I think, like, what, like, what is going on? Like, who wrote this article? Because I feel like a lot of people paint, especially people of ethnic minority, with the same brush. Um, and when it comes to, they, they kind of drain our culture with anything that we can offer. But when it comes to giving back, they're very reluctant. So 
so in Nottingham, um, I feel like racism is still a big thing, especially when it comes to police, because the police target a lot of black youth. Like they they're not they're not reluctant when it comes to stop and searches. Um, they go straight for if if there was a big group of young people, they're going straight for the black people because they think that do you know what I'm saying? They they think that they're more targeted, so they target us more. Um, they find any any literally any reason. So the other day, um, I have an electric scooter that I get around on. Um, so as a reason for them to stop me, they spoke about my electric scooter and said like, oh, like the light on the back is flashing too much, <laughs> or like literally they do anything and anything. Um. And a recent job that I worked at, I worked in property um, maintenance uh, as an estate agent. Um, and a black woman who was ahead of me, she got the managerial role. And it was in my in my um, in my sector. There was a lot of like talks that she only got that role because she was black and they needed diversity in the um, in the workplace. And I feel like that was just bang out of order. So I feel like the article, the article just. If I could swear, I would swear. I can't swear. Um, the article spoke uh, spoke a lot of was. That's what I'm gonna say. It just yeah. <laughs> you know when you come in, come in with new words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to make up a new one. It spoke a lot of was. Like, <laughs> I want to jump over back to Manchester, Tyreek. Talk to us because given up the the BLM protests, we saw all different cities come together, right? And and similar to what Vital was saying, it it, it means that people have got the same feeling the same fire in their belly to say nah enough is enough I'm coming back again um do you think that within Manchester the relationship between black people and authorities is unique in any way that's that's to Manchester not elsewhere greater Manchester police yeah just them alone they take uh, they take to new levels with how they show their racism in fact I did like a little infographic for all black lives UK on our little Instagram like if you check on there the amount of like stop and search to have been in Manchester, not over just lockdown, but just like in general, like there's so many stop and searches for black youths. Um, there's like a whole like diaspora of people who are black males and they've just been harassed constantly for things they haven't done. And me, myself, I've experienced it many a times. I'm not even from like, I live in Manchester. I've lived here for like nearly three years now, but I'm not even from Manchester. And I've experienced it like on a heavy amount, like where people like, you know, white people wouldn't have experienced that like once in their life or twice in their life or three times in their life. And, you know, it's just, it's a mess. Like, I remember when I organised my first protest, which was during the 7th of June, there was like 10,000 people there. And I just remember there was like police up in like, they're like, well, I was in St. Peter's Square, there was police up in like higher buildings, like watching down on me. And for like every single second, I know like this sounds so dramatic, but I was just thinking like, Yo, one wrong move and I'm either arrested, shot, or something like that. Like, it gets to a point now where, like, in Manchester, if I'm not with my friends or I'm just walking on my own at night, like, I don't feel like I don't feel too safe or secure with the fact that I'm not going to get arrested. So I'm not going to get stopped and searched. I think even even the conversation about safety does the race report mean that black people feel less safe? If you've got a report that says, no, 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 we're cool, you know, institutionally, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. Vital, what about yourself? Does that, does that make you feel less safe where you are in the West Midlands? Um, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm an older of the younger. So in, in that space, like I'm not really around people like that all the time, unless I need to be. And obviously this pandemic situation, I'm more, more time by myself. But outside of that, when I'm moving and I'm going to shows or I'm doing sets or whatever it might be, like this is sometimes why a lot of the times, you know, people or black people, black people are perceived to 
to travel or move with a bunch of people. It's just to feel more secure. That's the reality. Mm. It's not to cause an issue or whatever, but we just know that by ourselves, it's, it's, it can always be, be a bit techie, if that makes sense. Yeah. I literally just read this statement about uh, the government has told salons to avoid extending treatments such as braiding hair and hair extensions. Why would they target out them to? Like, just that alone lets you know that all these, or, or, like the whole system is built to, to built against us. And it's like a thing of like, how do we maneuver? Do we break the law now? Just to do what we need to do to feel normal, to feel at, at a civil, like equal kind of level? Or do we now go with our hair looking crazy, which would in, in turn make our actions, our moves, the way we think, the way we feel, you know, put us in a position to get in trouble, if that kind of makes sense. And, and I feel like the ignorant people won't see that, won't understand that until you take something from them within their culture. And even then they'll say, well, no, that's not fair. I just wanted to jump over to Jesse and talk about Liverpool. I mean, it has such an old black community at the heart of the city, man. So is the level of um, what you're seeing, the treatment, all of the conversations that are happening now, is it helping the treatment to get better where you are? For me, Liverpool is just, it's just, it is just, it's a white city and, you know, there is a small black community and just now it's even, it's, it's getting spread out. So it's getting most of it gentrified, you know what I mean? So like, they've took parts of our, our community away and they're calling it, they start giving it other names to, to take the identity away mm -hmm. from it. Um, so I think, I think like slowly but surely the, the, the community that we did have, it, give it another 10, 15 years, it probably won't be the same again. It'd be even smaller. Yeah. You know, yeah. you'd be talking a couple of streets rather than an actual area. Um, but yeah, Liverpool as well, is it's the representation you don't see. A lot of black people, mm. when you go to city centre and that, you don't see yeah. black people working really in the shops and that, you don't really see it. There's, there's, there's not much going on. You know what I mean? There's not much black businesses in Liverpool. They don't really, they don't, they don't really um, do well, you know. Do people in Liverpool, black people in Liverpool, keep themselves to themselves? We, yeah, like, like I say, there's, there's, if you're talking about the black scouse community, so I, I'd say that's talk stuff. But then you have got a, there is a big African like presence. In, I'd say that's more like Kensington ways, but they don't. Mm. It's not like a mix. Do you know what I mean? Like, so. Yeah. The, the black Scouse community, no, not really. Like, the, maybe back in 81 when the riots were on, it was a community, you know, that that's when it was a community. From when I, I was born in the 90s and growing up in when I was younger, yeah, there was more sense of a community. But now it's not, it's not that, it's 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 very, it's still diverse, you know, there's a lot of different cultures in, within Toxtuff, but just the community feels not really there. And like, people aren't really, they're not really on that. They're not, they're not bothered about that. Everyone's just trying to make their own way. It's mad, isn't it? It's proper mad. And, and what you said, that like, there's not much representation, but TJ, for you in your industries, whether that's music, whether that's sports, people will say, we complain about, man. There's pure black people wherever you go. So, so even now where you, after the BLM protests, after the murder of George Floyd, every advert, black people be selling Bisto gravy. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's like, everyone in the adverts at the moment, all you see is black people on TV. So what do you say to that then? Even though that there is representation, is it helping the treatment of, um, yeah, what you find and what you um, experience, wherever you're working, is it helping? Um, I would say that the way they use us is, is, um, is temporary. It's just the quiet people downs because we've always said there's, there's no diversity within adverts and how they, even the way they portray us, 
when they do use us, it's based on the usual things whether it be sports, being like African or Caribbean, but they don't use you for anything else besides that. Mm. Because there was a, um, I think during the times of the marches, I think there was an Adidas advert that literally had only black people in it. But then there was white people complaining that there's only black people in it. So they're saying, oh, you're meant to be portraying a diverse community, but where's the white people? But then you're not mm. complaining about that when there's only white people in the advert. So it's just like, what is what is the actual problem? Like, are you afraid to see black people doing well on your TV screen? Or are you like afraid to see like posters of black people? Because it's like, you can be from any walk of place. And I'm pretty sure like, I don't know if women know this, but most men will know this. Just walking down the road, someone might just cross the road just because you're there. And mm. it's a thing of whether you're like, you've got different types of people here. And I think everyone's gone through that. So in like the modern industry, they just they just use you until like everything's quieting down. So it's not really got any better. You're still getting badly treated at the um at the shoots or the castings. When you go to the casting, you know that you've got to be way better than your white counterpart at what you do. Um, because there's even times when I've gone for a casting as an athlete and someone that does yoga has got it over me. And it's like, what what does this make? Like it don't make any sense. And then but he looks like I don't know Captain America, and like that's why. So like it benefits him. But like yeah, that's just how it is. Like you just get used until you're not necessarily needed. Then when black people start talking again, you get used again. And it's even like within the agencies. Um, if you look on Instagram at certain agencies, their pictures are just white people, white people, white people, one black person, white people, white people, white people one black person. So it's like. But then that's like an online portfolio to other brands. So are you showing them that you mainly, yeah, you mainly got white people? Or are you going to show that you have black models, you got mixed race models, Asian models? Like, like it's just a, like, yeah, it's just a thing of they use you when you need it. Show me the picture on Instagram of your board members, please. Show me your trustees. Show me the people at the top and the power positions. Do you know what I mean? Put that on Instagram. Exactly. But I, I know within my agency, there is no one black that works there. But this is what we're saying now. So when we're talking about institutions, <laughs> where do we go if it's not institutionally racist? This is a fantastic question. YP, let me just draw you in before I ask a, a, an, um, an overall question for everyone, but would really love to know because the thing is, we're all using our voices. Do you know what I mean? You've got to push forward. You've got to see the progress you want to see. And so for you and where you are in Nottingham, where do you want to be in 40 years time? If we're looking back and really putting the, the pin in the map to say this is 40 years ago, but this is us in 2021, come 40 years forward, what do you want to see? Four years forward, I want to see a huge, huge change. Like, um, like stuff that TJ was saying, um, um, like, and other people were saying regarding like a lot of slack that black women get in institutional. And I think that is just disgraceful. Like, in some circumstances, it's very out there as well. So realistically, no matter what you do or what you say, if you're from an ethnic background, voicing your opinion will always be deemed as aggressive like and especially when in regarding to black women if black women are saying their opinion everyone thinks well why is she so aggressive like why is she so like why is she so angry type of thing and it's like no it's not that we're just very opinionated um so in 40 years time I do want to see a difference um and that's regarding policing and the way policing handles situations between both ethnicities so I don't know if everyone's seen it in the paper obviously the young child that passed away recently um his family member came out and said that the police said if you can't find your child how can we find him 
type of thing. And I, and I, was, I was thinking to myself, like, so you wouldn't, you don't want to put in, basically what you're saying is you don't want to put the resources that you do have into this case. But obviously without seeing certain cases, like you, you've, you've put millions and millions into finding, other, do you know what I'm saying? Finding other people and other cases. So you're just disregarding cases now. In 40 years time, I feel like there needs to be a big change. Like, you know, even in 40 years time, like in a year's time, like I feel like, yeah, I just feel like there needs to be like a big change. I'm going to actually open up this question. Yeah, what we think about your city, put your head in where you are right now. What are the conversations or are we going to be having the same conversations where we are in our city 40 years on? Um, so yeah, want to zoom around and maybe if you can keep your answer to like a minute, just want to get that snapshot story of where you are. Vital, let me come to you first. I'm sorry, I got too much to say, so I'll, let me let me just answer <laughs> that real quick. Yeah, um, I think whether it's 40 years, 100 years, 10 years, whatever it might be, the situation is we need to be in higher places on board, board uh, whatever it is, or need to be in control, we need to be CEOs, we need to have more understanding and control of the financial industry and spaces. If we're in them spaces, we can help make better decisions. We can help make a decision, never mind better decision. We haven't even got decisions to make. We're just, a lot of it's talking and protesting and, and hoping that people would see what we feel, if that makes sense. But realistically, sometimes we have to just find a way to put it into practice, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Let me jump back to, to London. TJ, what about yourself? Do you think you're going to have the same conversations with your kids? It's wild, isn't it? In 40 years' time, um, what do you think it's going to be? To be honest, I feel like as long as racism is taught from parent to child, it will continue to continue and continue because you can go to like a primary school, talk to like a, maybe like a six-year-old white kid. He's not racist. So it's something that's being taught within the family system to continue. But then you'll speak to another white person and they're not racist. So it's just like individuals are teaching it. So as long as those individuals are going to continue to teach and teach and teach it, I don't think it's going to change much. It might get less or it might get hidden. Because if you compare like the UK to America, Americans will blatantly come and say it to your face. Whereas in the UK, they try to be nice about it and do it in kind of sideways, like sideways. And that, that's, yeah, that, that's the thing. And what about Leeds? Are you hopeful we're still? What's happening in four years' time? Hopeful, yeah, but realistically, when we talk about racism, we're talking about decades and decades of unlearning to do. And it's not something that is just going to flip that quickly. Um, so just as everyone was saying, I think education is such an important part um because even when I found when I first came to uni I was still having to teach people not to use certain phrases like coloured or half cast believe it or not um stuff like that and I find that with the education and teaching of people I I already know that I've educated simply through speaking to people by Instagram or in person over the past year and they're learning so much more than they ever have and I'm also I am hopeful though because especially with the younger generation so like the Gen Z's and stuff they stand for a lot less crap than um other generations have done um so they're a lot less tolerant so for me I am really really hopeful but I know it's not going to be an overnight thing now do I think in 40 years time we're going to be having the same conversations yeah I do um I don't want to sound pessimistic but I always I do believe that there's nothing new under the sun um, but that doesn't mean that we can't see improvement and we can't work towards change. Jesse, what about yourself? What's happening in Liverpool 40 years on? Do you think you're going to have the same conversations? Highly likely, but I mean, yeah, it's more, yeah, it's education. It's just people it, need to learn more about each other. Um, 
just take the time to learn and understand different cultures, you know, and there's, you know, as much as there's differences, there's so, so many similarities, you know, we're all, we're all humans, you know what I mean? We all do the same basic things, but obviously, you know, we've all got different cultural needs as well. And it's just learning about it and just respect it, you know? And again, like what uh, I think it was vital saying, getting people in better positions, like people that have got a bit of a backbone and, you know, will stand up for what what's right and will make the right decisions based on that. I think that that's what you need to go, move forward. But for Liverpool, I mean, I'm hopeful, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. And Tyreek, we know Manchester is home to so many young people with that fire in their belly to keep the change coming. So what do you think in 40 years' time? What's your city going to be saying? Um, in 40 years' time... But I don't want to speak for the future because I don't know what's going to happen. I can't tell. I can't predict. Um, but what I would ideally like is to please slay off our backs. I want all of these conversations that we're having right now, like this conversation, um, the protests, all of that. I want that in school books. I want that educated to, you know, so many different people across the UK. So then racism is just slowly dying out. I want black women to be upheld by the community because I don't feel this has this hasn't been mentioned as much, but you know, black women are treated so unfairly, um, especially considering they are, you know, the dawn of life, to be honest. So I want them to be upheld better. And then on top of that, I want I don't want to be doing these interviews anymore. I don't want to like as great of an opportunity this is, and I'm like so blessed to be on Kiss 100, like deep it we shouldn't be having these conversations. Like, us as Black, do you see white people having these conversations all the time? Like, we shouldn't be sat here on our Sundays talking about race. Like, we've got so many things that we need to be getting on with in life, and this is what we're spending our time doing because we're not treated right. So I want that to change. Um, and mm -hmm. I want my reparations paid for, you know, slavery and all of that so I could get my plane ticket and my little piece of land in Jamaica and dip and dip because I'm not staying in this country too long because if it's not changed by 40 years then what's the point of staying like we might as well just all go back to our own nations and like just build up there and just be like you know Wakanda or something like that like that's that's what I see for the next 40 years I think that's an invitation guys I think what Tyreek is trying to say is that he's invited us to JA in, in 40 years time so <laughs> I said what I said 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 <laughs> Yeah, I've already, bought, I've already bought my flight. I bought my flight, bro. I'm, I'm ready. Calm, 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 calm. I'm taking the invitation. I'm taking it. When people tell you to go back to your own country, it's like, if you book me my ticket to go back to my own country, I will not stay here. Pay for, Pay for me. me. Pay please, for me. Please, I will go happily. Thanks to all of our guests. We couldn't have had this conversation without you. And if you missed any part of the show, make sure you download the podcast. We'll be back next week. Kiss Life. Thanks so much for listening in. You can listen back to the conversation right here in this brand new podcast from Bauer. So make sure you like and subscribe to get a new episode every week.